0: Welcome to Change Now. Yes, because we need to change now. Now is when your impact story starts. Listen, get inspired by visionary change makers and be part of the change. The Arctic faces a severe environmental crisis due to chemical pollution. This pollution poses a significant threat to the local ecosystems, wildlife and communities. In this episode, let's explore the path to a sustainable and thriving Arctic for future generations with the inspiring Elena Doms, head of EarthPlus. She was born in the Arctic and is on a mission to protect it. I was born and raised in the Arctic, right next to the polar circle. In fact, you might have seen my home city in the James Bond GoldenEye movie. Right at the beginning of this movie, there is this chemical weapons facility set in the high mountains, full of snow. James Bond defeats everyone, blows up the place, runs outside, tries to escape in a plane, but the plane falls off the cliff, so he jumps off the cliff after the plane, gets in the plane, and flies away as a victor. I have to tell you the truth. That scene was filmed in Switzerland. My home city is very flat and a lot more cheerful. In fact, it's quite a big city, 300,000 people live there, and it's located on the river, which is around two kilometers wide, and that river splits the city into parts. Here in the picture, you see the city center, but on the other side are small villages. Now, people from those small villages sometimes have to go to the city center to go to work or to go to schools. There are no bridges in between, so what do they do? In summer, you can take a boat, and in winter, you literally walk on ice. And by that, I don't mean that you just go out there and walk on ice anywhere. That would be dangerous. The authorities are waiting until the ice is thick enough, about 40 centimeters, and then they install a special road. This road is called the Road of Life by the locals because it connects these isolated villages to the city center. Now, it looks like a road. You have the lights, you have the walking path, you can even drive a car on it. But in between, in this river, the boats still have to come through, so the ice is broken every single day, and it's just plain water with ice blocks swimming in it. So what do you do then? Then you have these wooden pallets that are put on top for people to cross. And to be honest to me, this is the closest you can get to walking on ice, to on water. And we did this experience with my husband a few years ago. He said it was the most terrifying and dangerous man-made experience he has ever had in his life. Now, a disclaimer. My husband is from Belgium, I'm from the Arctic, we tend to disagree on those things. But yeah, it's pretty terrifying, actually. Now, Arctic used to be very, very cold. I remember I was a kid. It was minus 30 for a couple of months. My mom would dress me up real well before going outside. And by real well, I mean tights, under pants, sweater under sweater, a scarf under a hat, and another scarf all over my face. Then my dad would take me downstairs, and before we would open the door to go outside, he would rub my nose and my cheeks like this so that they stay warm and the skin doesn't freeze, because otherwise it would turn white and hurt for days. We would step outside, it would be this crisp, fresh air, it would be the polar nights, really dark. But the snow would be so bright, it would reflect the lights, and it would all be okay. My dad would pick me up and carry me to the kindergarten all the way in his arms so that I don't get too cold. But the Arctic is not the same anymore. I was actually shocked to learn that now minus 30 is considered abnormal in my home city because they are only counting the averages for the last few years. Now, the average temperature for the winter months is minus 7, minus 10 degrees, and sometimes it's even above zero. Now, that means that the ice on the river doesn't freeze on time, so this road of life cannot be installed. During the pandemic, it was so warm Sometimes it was installed only one or almost two months later. And that means people were isolated for longer. Shops were running out of food on the other side. And those who had to get to the hospitals with COVID, they had a really hard time getting there in the first place. But not just winters in the Arctic are changing. Summers are changing too. If you remember the year of those really bad floods in Europe, The weather was not warm and it was raining constantly, and a lot of people suffered. Well, what was happening in the Arctic? It was plus 30 degrees for two months with no rain. Now, my parents bought a little plot of land when when I was little, and we were growing food and vegetables there. And, you know, it's a zone of risky agriculture. You never know what you're gonna get because the growing season is only two months. You have to nurture every plant, temperatures above 20 are lucky days. But that summer, my mom had to water plants every morning and every evening, and she said she hasn't seen anything like this before. Now, it might seem quite okay for the Arctic agriculture, but actually that has profound consequences because Arctic and subarctic is home to northern forests, boreal forests. And we hear a lot about the Amazon, and Amazon is really important because it's the lungs of our planet but boreal forests are really important, too. In fact, they are the largest carbon sink on land. They store 11% of world carbon, mainly in their soils. And when temperatures above 30 happen, they dry out and they start burning. And they start releasing generations of old carbon stored in their soils. And they turn from carbon sinks into carbon emitters. A similar process happens to the Arctic ice. Normally, the ice is white, it reflects the solar radiation. But with hot weather, it melts and it exposes the dark ocean. And the ocean in the Arctic is really dark. So this ocean instead observes the heat, heats up even more, more ice melts, even more ocean is exposed. And it's a self-reinforcing loop. Climate feedback loops like that are called climate tipping points, and there are 16 of them. If you look at the map, most of these tipping points are in or very close to the polar regions. That's why polar regions are so important. That's why they're so close to us. Because they regulate the stability of our whole ecosystem on Earth. And when those climate thresholds are crossed, the whole ecosystem goes out of balance. Now, I was looking at all of this during the pandemic. I was literally seeing my childhood home melt away, and there was only one question going on in my head. And the question was, how do I make it all better? How do I protect my home? How do I make it all better for my kids and for their future? How do I make it all better for the future of all of the kids in the world, for our future? And I have to admit, this question was really, really hard to answer. It took a while to figure it out. I was working at MasterCard back then. Fantastic company. I was a director there, but I quit because I felt I had to do something that would bring real impact. And the answer eventually came with this, and it was all like magic. Now, you might think I'm slightly insane, and I'm showing you a plant that causes magic visions and has hallucinogenic properties, but I'm not. This plant is industrial hemp. It does not make you have magic visions, but it has other magic properties that will blow your mind. First of all, it's really great at absorbing CO2. It grows to three and a half meters in just 110 days. And in those 110 days, it absorbs four times more CO2 than a young forest in a year. In some geographies, you can have several crops a year, and you can multiply those numbers. Second, it uses 90% less water to grow. It has really deep roots of one meter, so it's great at restoring soils. And it also has really wide canopy, so it prevents evaporation of water from the soil, and it grows with no pesticides. So it's fantastic at restoring soils. And last but not least, it's really versatile. You can create lots of materials out of it. In fact, Porsche created a car body, racing car body, out of industrial hemp in 2019. You can make clothes out of it, you can make fishing nets out of it, but most importantly, you can make construction products out of it. And why is that important? Because construction releases 40% of our global greenhouse gas emissions. And it also creates 30% of waste. So if you can make construction materials that instead absorb CO2 in its production process, and you can make them circular, then you're solving a very big issue. And out of industrial hemp, you can make concrete, hempcrete, you can make isolation, you can make hemp wood and lots of other things. But it's not even all of these properties that made me fall in love with industrial hemp. A few years back, there was a big scandal in Belgium around forever chemical contamination close to Antwerp. It was found very high around a factory of International Chemical Company. It was all over the news. Uh, It was found high in people's blood. They were advised not to pick up food from their gardens, not to pick up eggs from their chickens. They chose not to let their kids play outside in their gardens anymore. And Belgium is the worst in Europe in terms of forever chemical contamination because of the heavy industry cluster. But if you think that it's better in Europe, it's not much. In fact, just a couple of months ago, Le Monde and Forever Pollution Project published a map of forever chemical contamination. Let me zoom in this map for you. The red dots on this map are known contamination sites. The blue dots on this map are presumed contamination sites. Normally, the hotspots are cleaned by excavating this ground and putting it somewhere else, but we literally cannot excavate a third of our continent. The map for the US looks similar, and globally, there is not even a map yet. But sometimes water samples return 10 times higher contamination, meaning it's a problem too. Why is that pollution there in the first place? Because forever chemicals are incredibly useful in our everyday consumer products, and there are no substitutes for them. They make our products non-stick and water resistant, so they are in all of our everyday items. But the production process creates this pollution, and this pollution spreads really far. It was even found in the Arctic ice and in the blood of polar bears. Because of these useful properties, these chemicals also do not decompose in nature. That's why they're called forever chemicals. And scientists just think they will stay in there for millennia. And because they do not decompose in nature, they also just accumulate in our bodies and cause all kinds of diseases. There is a research that came out just two weeks ago saying that global healthcare costs related to forever chemicals are 17.5 trillion US dollars a year. Last year, in Belgium, Frederick Verstrade, CEO of C Biotech, and Sophie Tess, postdoc researcher from the Hasselt University, tried to do the impossible, something that was known to be impossible before. They worked together with this large international chemical company and they wanted to see if they could clean forever chemical contamination with plants. Now, Sophie has been studying this and cleaning lots of different types of contamination for years. She's an expert, and Frederick, very much into decarbonizing construction, and he was inspired by industrial hemp used to clean Chernobyl and Fukushima. So they planted industrial hemp. You can see here a beautiful picture of Sophie with industrial hemp when it grew. And what they studied afterwards was very interesting. They realized that hemp acted like a pump. It transported this forever chemical contamination from the soil into the leaves of the plant. The leaves of the plants were contaminated, but the stems of the plant remained clean. And so did the pollen of the plant. And that was really important because hemp is loved by the bees. So bees were safe too. They then separated these leaves uh, and the stems. They destroyed leaves at high temperatures uh, because forever chemicals, they can only be destroyed at 1,400 degrees. So they destroyed the leaves and they used the stems to help create the bodies of these beautiful circular EV car chargers together with power station in Belgium. And they also created hemp wood out of it. Now, please don't think that this is a magic pill. It does not take one or two crops to clean forever chemical contamination from soils. That's why it's called Forever Chemicals. For the traditional hotspots, traditional methods are used because otherwise it would take too long. But for meat and low polluted areas, which are are just too expensive to be cleaned, uh, those are the ones that can be tackled with nature because they're just sitting there and continuing to intoxicate us. And when I looked at this research, I was thinking, whoa, (laughs) this is cool. This is like making impact. I want to do that. And then my second thought was, well, this is too important to stay in Belgium. We have to take it global. And even though sometimes for contaminated soils it would take years or even dozens of years to clean them, what is dozens in comparison to the future of our children? What is dozens in comparison to millennia of these chemicals staying in these soils? And what is dozens of years while we are removing CO2 on a wide scale while doing that? So this is how the idea of Earth Plus was born. The largest soil and CO2 cleanup in history with nature. Now we are focusing on different types of soil contamination, not just forever chemical. We're also focusing on soils that are dry and we can restore them. And we're also focusing on soils that no one is focusing on. For example, around company factories or in cities, the lands that they don't use like in harbors. Because we can grow hemp on them even if they are not polluted. And we can reduce emissions for those companies and cities by locking these emissions in local circular products. And local circular products is a really important piece over here because we don't want to grow hemp on one side of the world and then ship it all the way to another. Then we release all those emissions back. We want to create local circular economy where it would be used all locally to build our cities. And the nature piece is also really important here because we often think that engineering and technology will solve all of our problems. But WWF just calculated that in the last 10 years, nature removed 53% of man-made greenhouse gas emissions. So nature has the solutions. And if we work together with nature, we just might get out ourselves of the mess that we created. With EarthPlus, we really want to create a positive story of companies driving change. And I'm really proud to say that in a few months, our global impact dashboard will be live, where we will showcase our projects, our real impact. What was the contamination before? What was it after? How much CO2 we removed? How many local jobs we created? And what are the success stories of the companies working together with us? Now, we realize that this mission is really crazy. We realize it's really big, but we were inspired by the ambition of the ocean cleanup, and we are creating the same idea on land. We also truly believe in the collaboration between companies and cities and governments to restore our beautiful planet together. Thank you.